Did you get bigger or did I get smaller? Welcome into episode 11 of the Analog Sticks podcast, where this week we explore Hyrule from a whole new perspective in The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. Let's go. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Analog Sticks. My name is Rusty, his name is Cody, and we've got a lot to talk about today. But before we do, Cody, how are you doing? Doing alright. Uh, I've been really busy today. I went straight from classes to the doctors and then went home for dinner with the family. Uh, now I'm doing this. Non-stop. We're going today. We're going. Nose to the grindstone. Life of a student oh, yeah. who's recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fun stuff. I just made a dinner. I'm probably going to get myself some mint chocolate chip ice cream here in a little bit. Ooh, I saw you made pasta. I did have some pasta, but what was the ooh for? Are you one of those people that is disgusted by mint chip? That was a good ooh. Like, I wish I had some mint chocolate chip with me. I thought you were going to be one of those people. Oh, no. We're brothers in this. (laughs) I know my fiance, for instance, thinks it's like eating toothpaste with chocolate in it, but I love mint chip. It's so good. What if I what if I told you I just love toothpaste? Hey, toothpaste is pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> we got some new like three D white toothpaste. No free ad, so I'm not gonna say the brand, but <laughs> but it tastes like nothing, and it's kind of lame. It's kind of lame. Ew. So I gotta get my mint chip to get my toothpaste flavor elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're toothpaste deficient. Oh, God, I, I got to get myself some mint. Gum just can't cut it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyways, video games. <laughs> yes, let's go ahead and dive into this. This week we are covering The Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap. But before we do, I just want to give you guys a heads up. Like most of our other episodes, this is very spoiler and story heavy, even more so than normal, I might mm-hmm. say. So if you want to play the game and not get spoiled on the story, granted it's not like a huge crazy story or anything like that, I would suggest you skip this one, but if you want to hear about the story or you played the game or just want to hear some dudes talking about a game you might not play, this is going to be great. I have high hopes for this one. With that being said, though, I do want to focus more on the story as a whole and kind of tie in all the talking points as we go, but there are a few things I'm really not sure how we're going to tie in, so we'll go ahead and roll through all that. Now, this game is developed by Capcom. It's the only Zelda game developed by Capcom. And do you think that was a good idea that Nintendo licensed this game to Capcom? Didn't they... Wasn't Capcom involved in the Oracle games? I actually do believe you're right. Yeah, that's my mistake. Let me confirm that. But I do believe they had a part in the joint Oracle games. While you look that up, I'll I'll give my opinion, though. I love it. I, I really like it. Um, Capcom... Uh, to me, the Minish Cap was a bit like a love letter to Zelda in how they kind of mishmashed elements of so many different Zelda games all into this one thing. Um, it felt like a remix. That's what it was like to me. Yeah, I mean, my big takeaway from this, spoilers, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is a great Zelda game that doesn't do anything groundbreaking, but it really does tie in a lot of the themes we see in other games really well. And also, yes, they did do both of the Oracles games and the A Link to the Past Four Swords bundle on GameCube, as well as this one. So Capcom did do a little bit with Zelda. I personally wish they did more, because this game's great. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that 
That seems like a really tight era of Capcom games, though. Was that all within a decade? That was all within, like, five years, I believe, because I want to say that the Link to the Past one, I don't know exactly what year it was, but I think it was 2004, and I know the the Oracle games were either 99 or 2000. I'll look that up as well. But that's a lot of development in a very short amount of time. And, I mean, Capcom's one of those bigger studios where I think they can handle it. Oh, yeah. What's incredible to me is if you look at Oracle and then Minish Cap, it is, Minish Cap is light years ahead in terms of graphics. It just, it looks, the, the, the 2D sprite artwork on it, I think is just perfected. You know, it's one of, it's a, if you want to have, if you want to split, um, the 8-bit or pixel graphic era, you know, from 3D, this comes kind of at the end of the pixel graphic era. Oh, yeah. And you can really see how polished, you know, the designs of that is. Oh, yeah, they make it look really good. But, yeah, the Oracle games were 2001. The Four Swords and Link to the Past Game Boy Advance bundle, my bad, was 2002. And then Minish Cap was 2004. So, in a four wow. and a half year span, they developed four Zelda games. Granted, two of them run on the exact same engine. Actually, I think the Four Swords runs on the same engine as Minish Cap as well. But I'm not 100% sure. I haven't played that one, actually. But. Even still, that jump between the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance is very clear, and we can see that in the art style, like you're saying. And I personally love the art style in this game. It it's just looks so, so good. Yes, it looks so good. I mean, they take a lot of the inspiration from the cel-shaded stuff in Wind Waker and kind mm-hmm. of use the same base idea of a character model. I'd say it is Toon Link without being three-dimensional. Yeah. And it looks great. I mean, even... I, I, don't, know, I don't know how they do it with pixels, but you're right. They totally brought the... The Wind Waker cel-shaded aesthetic, the, the feeling of it, into the Game Boy. I mean, even with some of the enemy designs, we see, like, the Moblins and stuff. Obviously, they're not as big and chunky with the giant bottom lip like we see in Wind Waker, but they are a very similar style of Moblin, and I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, we're, we're Wind Waker snobs, Wind Waker babies, so we love Wind Waker. In turn, we love the graphics in this game and the art direction that they chose. One thing I didn't love, though, and I'll go ahead and get this out there, is some of the controls. Granted, I feel a lot of it's because of the hardware. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think this game could have benefited from two extra buttons, honestly. Yeah, um, going... I have a few GameCube games, not GameCube, Game Boy games I've gone back to, and I I don't know, you can just really feel the button restriction Mm -hmm. when you're used to all the buttons we get nowadays. I get that same feeling, though, when I go back to an SNES games, where there's just less buttons to use, and I feel like you get used to having more options right there available for you. Yeah, I mean, even playing some of the Metroid games nowadays, like Metroid Dread, you have... It feels so smooth using all the items without having to pause and switch anything and all that. And with Super Metroid, you can still do that, but it's some weird button combinations and different things you have to do to do it, rather than hold this button and then press this to do this, versus... I can't explain it very well, but it's you can feel the restriction there, and it's no exception here. I mean, the way they do it is R is now the action button, which I wasn't a fan of. It kind of got to be a little more comfortable as I went, but it never felt right. And then A and B are both items. And B is not a back button. You have to hit start to go back in the menus, which kind of drives me nuts. Because A and B just let you... They both let you hold items. Also, the sword isn't assigned to one specific button. So you can have, say, you want to use the shield and the bow at the same time. You can do that. 
but you can't use your sword until you go in the menu and equip your sword. Yeah. Now, I I don't know if you'd be able to remember, um, in A Link Between Worlds, was the sword its own button all the time? A Link Between Worlds for the 3DS, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I honestly have no clue. I wish I knew off the top of my head. I know in the super early Zeldas, the sword was an item you'd have to swap out, right? I mean, for the most part, no. On the NES, I don't think it was. I could be wrong, mm. but I don't believe it was. And then... I think in A Link Between Worlds... Sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. Bad thought process. A Link Between Worlds, <laughs> I think that your sword is just always equipped and there's nothing crazy to it like that. But I'm pretty sure this was the first game where you could unequip your sword essentially like that. I mean, I know you could not ring of time, but like, why would you? And yeah. it, it's it's fun stuff there. But yeah, I, I mean... Like to, go uh, ahead. After, after Breath of the Wild, they... They just fixed the inventory system so beautifully that I have a hard time going back to any Zelda game and having to go back to going through the menu just to swap out your items. Mm -hmm. Like those quick menus are so nice. I miss mm -hmm. I miss them when I leave Breath of the Wild. But I mean, as far as the controls, everything's fine. It just takes a little bit to get used to. And if you can get past that hurdle, you're in for a good time with this game. And I absolutely love it. There's one more thing I do want to touch on before we move on, the music and the sound design. What are your thoughts on the music and the sound design here? Because I personally love it. It's so good. I, man, again, Breath of the Wild makes me really miss just classic Zelda music. The the full, shameless, da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. uh, I want that back. And this game was, it was wonderful being able to hear that again. I mean, every dungeon has their own theme. Every area has their own theme, and it's so good. They use a lot of recycled songs from Wind Waker and Ocarina of Time and probably yeah. some other Zelda games I can't recall off the top of my head, though. And they kind of like remix it and make it work in that chiptune style, and I love it. I yeah. just, I, I love it. I love Zelda music, and this is no exception. It's so good. And I have a soft spot for chiptunes as well, and I love that. <laughs> We do also get some sound effects in here, a lot of which are pulled from Wind Waker. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Nico in Wind Waker, the pirate who does the rope minigame in the boat, mm -hmm. his audio is used for the Tiger Scroll instructors. I don't know their name, but like Swiftblade oh, and Grimblade. You yeah. get his audio there. They themselves are based off of the Swordmaster from Outside Island. Yes. Well, I, actually, I don't know about that. Are they? That, that's the vibe I got. You go into this room it's and they're a similar just standing concept. there. They don't look similar, mm -hmm. though. Orca has a very distinct look. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he's a totally different guy. But, yeah. I mean, I, I love everything about the character designs, the music. I, I could spoon over this stuff, but we're going to get into the story here in a little bit. Last thing I want to touch on. I mean, we get a gimmick in this game. The gimmick is shrinking down. You know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style. And <laughs> you basically get to see tiny people who live in the world and interact with all the stuff, meddling with human affairs, and it's pretty neat. It leads to good puzzle solving, but it's not overly intrusive, and I think it's fine. It's memorable, but not obnoxious, and I really love that. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where I have to admit that I didn't get to complete the game, unfortunately. Regrettably, like, this is one of the games I really wanted to beat. I just didn't have the time. Uh, but speaking from the perspective of the first half of the game, um, it was it was cool to see all these areas where I knew you could be tiny, but you just couldn't access it yet. You um, needed an item or something, and sure enough. <laughs> yeah. 
They do is that it satisfying once you get an item and can shrink down to those spaces where you've seen before? It is nice to be able to go back and like, oh, I can do that now, but it was never really like the most satisfying thing ever. I'm not like, oh, now I get to go back and be tiny in that one section in the, the highlands. Like, eh, it's yeah. okay. Like, oh, I can go do that now. There's probably a heart piece or something in there. But yeah, it's all fun. I mean, closing thoughts here before we get into the burn and the story. I have written the burn, by the way. Uh, this game does an awesome job of being a damned good Zelda game without doing much to stand out from the pack. If I was ranking the Zelda games, this is probably somewhere in the middle. And it can be a little too linear at times, but never feels really like a slog. There's not a whole bunch of backtracking, which is always a plus. And I mean, it's got a smaller world, but it's still very fun to explore, and we're going to get into that a bit later. But all in all, it does everything really well, but nothing the best. That's yeah. kind of my general thought there. Yeah, I agree with that. I will say, though, the... The aesthetics of the game, to me, are top-notch. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the most polished Zelda games you can play. In yeah. terms of looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before, but as far as, like, Pokemon goes, I always try to find the GBA demakes of all the newer games. It's like, I play mm. uh, Liquid Silver, for instance, which is actually a, a fan, a ROM hack remake of Silver on the GBA engine, and that's, like, the best way to play the Pokemon games, in my opinion, so that's fun. But I do have a burn prepared. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for it. This this is coming way later than usual. Yeah, I mean, we are about 13 and a half minutes in, and we're just now getting into the burn. Here we go. Did anyone else smell funnel cakes? It's time for the annual Pokori Festival, and what could possibly go wrong other than a mad sorcerer showing up with the hopes of taking over the world, right? The princess, however, must have given Medusa a funny look as she's petrified and the evil sealed within the sword is released. We then set out to fix the busted blade with the four elements and after meeting a cognizant cap, we go full honey I shrunk the kids and meet the minish. We gather the first element then head off to a miniature mine and have our blade rebuilt as we gather the second element before heading out to meet swamp people and get faked out in some old ruins before going full Zelda on ice and skating for the third element. Then we must be pretty fly for a white guy as we soar through the skies and stockpile the last elements. We then rush to the castle only to be fo foiled by Vadi, who we must stop from stealing the light force out of Zelda's body and save the world. Hey, solid burn there. One take. I gotta brag. That, that, was, that was solid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting no better stumbles. at reading. No, no extra editing for you. Woohoo! <laughs> that's always a good thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's basically just an overview of the story. It does that Zelda thing where it's Oh no, Zelda's in danger. Go get go through these dungeons, get what you need to get, and then beat the game. Like obviously it's got its own lore and everything like that that's all really good, and we're gonna get into that here in a little bit. But that's basically the premise is go through the dungeons, meet some people, do some stuff, save Zelda. I mean Yeah. You don't have to overbake it. <laughs> it's the same DNA as because to me, there's there's two types of Zelda games you can play. There's ones that are like a link to the past. That's what this one is, you know, the two D game where it's there's a castle in the middle of the map. You got to go collect stuff, go back to the castle to have your final battle. And then there's the Ocarina of Time likes, uh, which I would I'd put Wind Waker and Breath of the Wild in those categories, where it's more open world and and about a <laughs> a much deeper story than what we get here. I mean, good story in this game, but. Really, it's uh, it's an excuse to get into some gameplay, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, any game is really like that if you think enough about it. But uh, yeah, any story in a video game is just a vessel for the gameplay, except for like Uncharted, which is more like a video game movie, which honestly I'm not a fan of. But 
Either way, this game has a story that is, and I mean, like any Zelda game, the story at a surface level, you can just explain it as go to the dungeon, save the princess. But as you start to scrape off the layers, you're like, oh, there's all this cool stuff in here, and it ties into Zelda lore this way, and it's got its own lore here. And yeah. they kind of introduce us to the game with that, with basically a montage of stained glass windows that tells us about the hero of men who saved the world from the darkness with the Pakori blade and locked all the evil in a box, which is just a, a really cool, cool concept. Intro. Yeah, it feels Something good. From between Wind Waker and this game, I don't know how, but in, Zelda intros were just really good in the early 2000s. I might even go as far to say this intro is better than Wind Waker because it's not six and a half minutes. Ooh, that's a hot take because I got to admit, Wind Waker is my number one intro just because of the vibes. Oh, the vibes are immaculate, but I used to speedrun that game, and having to watch that cutscene every time you mess up is like punishment, and <laughs> it's six and a half minutes. <laughs> That'll ruin it for you. Yeah, it ruins it pretty swiftly. But I mean, it the hero of men, like we were saying, is the hero represented in these stained glass windows, is one of the few Zelda stories we know of that we haven't gotten to experience yet. So do you think that they're planning on making a game centered around the hero of men, even though we know the outcome of it already? Mm. I don't know. I'd love to see it, personally. Give me more 2D <laughs> Zelda, in the same style yeah. as Minish Cap. <laughs> there is, um, I think it was Breath of the Wild, they actually, in the beginning, wanted to add Picori and have little tiny people and the ability to get small and stuff. But they realized pretty quickly that that broadened the scope of the game too much, so they cut it early on. Yeah, I mean, I there's even really some, like... to see them come back. There's even some artwork of that, I believe. They, like, had it programmed in, but then they're like, I, we can't tie it all together, so... Yeah. Scrapped. But yeah, after that intro cutscene, we cut to the game. Link's asleep, and Zelda wants to go to the festival. You live with your uncle, who's, like, the Hyrule Master Blacksmith or whatever. Named Smith, naturally. <laughs> and Zelda's like, ah, Link, let's go to the festival. And then you do. You, you get off your blacksmithing apprenticeship for the day and go to the Pokori Festival. I think this may be the first time Link gets a job. And, I mean, honestly, it's about damn time he got off his ass, if you ask me. Good for him. Yeah, this... It's incredible. This Link, unlike all the others, is not a lazy boy. He actually does stuff. <laughs> also, I, I'm i amazed that you know, before playing this game, I never really thought of the Minish Cap Zelda that much. When, when people talk about like the best Zeldas, you know, you always get uh, people like Link Between World Zelda. Uh, I always hear Ocarina of Time Zelda is a really good one. This Zelda in Minish Cap? Amazing. She's oh, so yeah. underrated. Why is she not talked about more? She's so, the energy like, she has chipper. in that in that first part where she's just like bouncing between different people talking to everybody. That's so much more personality than she'd ever shown in any other game, maybe except for Skyward Sword. In Skyward Sword, she shows a lot of personality. Also, uh Spirit Tracks. She's around quite mm -hmm. a bit. That's at the DS one. If you haven't played that, I suggest it. But, uh, That's the one where she herself is kind of like your companion. Yeah, right? her spirit, her ghost or whatever. She gets killed in the very beginning and then follows you around. Because, you know, you can make a DS game morbid. <laughs> but, <laughs> what a great subversion of the story. Honestly, it's really good. I want to cover that at some point. Well, we'll get to that down the line, though. But she drags you out of your house and you go to the Pakori Festival. And like you said, she's all full of energy. Run around this festival like a little kid talking to all the people. 
and she moves very fast and you're just kind of like i gotta go keep up but by the time you catch up to her she's already done there and is running off to something else <laughs> and it's 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 wholesome i put a grin on my face uh she actually does win a little contest and gets you this tiny little dinky shield and <laughs> it's it's adorable the way they do that and then you have to head to the castle because she has to be a part of some ceremony where the winner of the swordsmanship concept get concept contest gets to touch the <laughs> pecori blade as a prize and we meet the winner, Vani. He gets to touch the sacred blade. But were you ready for this? There's a plot twist. He's the bad guy. I never would have guessed by looking at him in his dark purple design. Who who could have guessed? I mean, when you first saw him, was there any doubt that he wasn't evil? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd done some stuff for this game. I'd, I used to edit for a guy, and I... He played a lot of Minish Cap, so I kind of knew the whole premise of it. But, mm -hmm. like, they don't try to hide it. You know he's the bad guy. The music changes before they say it and all that. And then he instantly petrifies Zelda, blasts you away, and, like, freezes the guards or something, and then unseals all the evil that was sealed within the box. But that's not what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. That's just all the monsters and stuff. So now there's monsters everywhere. And he was surprised by that, right? What was that? He was surprised by that. I remember the box opened, and even he's like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, where's this light force? Why are there just a bunch of monsters? Oh, well, that can't hurt. Time to keep looking. Also, did the kingdom kind of deserve this? Because they let him win and open this box when he just had evil guy music surrounding him. Like, even during this competition. <laughs> I'm sure when he, like, came up into the arena, the music changed, and everyone in the audience had to have known he was evil. <laughs> he, he's, like, the only purple person, too. <laughs> yeah. Not all suspicious. And I mean, there's one thing where Link has the little shield. It's the first item you get. He jumps in front of Zelda and tries to block his magic attacks with the shield. And he's just instantly like, what are you trying to do here, kid? Dunk. <laughs> and then, yeah, so he couldn't find what he was looking for. And he dips out. But now there's monsters everywhere. And we wake up in a castle bed. And they're like, oh my god, you're okay. Which is really cool. And then you walk out of the bed and the king's like, Link, you have to go save the world! <laughs> Which I gotta say, the, the pixel version of Wind Waker's king, awesome design. Oh, they even have like a lot of the same King of the Red Lions audio. Which mm -hmm. is really good. Really good. And it's that same right. kind of Daphne's motif, I guess you could call it. And it's, it's awesome. I love yeah, it. The, the music, when you see him... Uh, I believe that is the Wind Waker King theme as well. I'm not 100% sure, but it's really good nonetheless. But yeah, so the whole premise is that only children who are pure of heart can see the Minish. So like nobody knows where the Minish are. He's like, yeah, you, you're a kid. Go find them. <laughs> and he gives you the broken Pecori blade and says, yeah, if you get that fixed, you can probably fix stuff. Like you can probably save the world or something. So naturally we head to the Minish Woods. <laughs> Heck yeah. I, I'm forgetting. Was it um, which one was the the name for them that people made up? Uh, the people call them the Pecori. They call themselves the Minish. That's right. So yeah, it, it's weird. But then once we do get into the woods, we meet Ezlo. Would you like to kind of explain what he's all about? Ezlo, he's a mean green fighting machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best description I could possibly think of. I mean, he's so sassy. <laughs> I love the way they introduce him because he's a man who was turned into a hat and his personality is a little fun like you're saying he is sassy initially he's like oh I'm gonna follow you and help you out but he's a hat 
he got turned into a hat. So he's hobbling really slowly and he's like, hey, why are you leaving me behind? I thought we had an agreement here. And then eventually he just jumps on your head and you have a talking hat. Now, I, I, I know that he's a dude that turned into a hat. Did he turn into a hat like right before you met him? Or was he a hat for a while? I don't know how long the time frame is, but it wasn't long before you met him if I were to guess. Because body mm. turned him into a hat, obviously. I don't know when, yeah. but he was in the Minish Woods as a hat, and that's fun. Yeah, what a douche. Just <laughs> turning people into hats, you can't do that. If we are to talk about Ezlo as a companion character, because if you haven't guessed it, that kind of is his role. He's got an attitude, like, all the time. He immediately teaches you how to use the main gimmick of the game, teaching you to shrink down to see the Pecori or the Minish, whatever you want to call them. And he's a fine enough companion character all in all. But the thing he does from time to... Th he does that thing every now and then that people really hate in companion characters where they assume you don't have more than three brain cells and just instantly tells yeah. you the solution to a puzzle. And I'm like, I see the solution. It's not a hard puzzle. You don't have to tell me how to do it. It's a little yeah. hand-holdy. <laughs> there was... Um, so to, to supplement not finishing the game, I went online and found some retrospectives to, to learn more about the end of the game. Um, and... Something someone pointed out, which I always forget about, is the fact that kids <laughs> are also playing these games. So there are some uh, sections of it where I, I feel like I have to give it a little leeway, because I know they got to consider the children too, and, and maybe the kids just wouldn't get it unless it's told to them. I mean, that's the thing, though. These puzzles, it's like some of the ones he jumps in for, I'm like, this is like a super simple puzzle. It's like there's mm -hmm. two things where you have to do the splitting into two, and it's like, hey, you probably got to split into two here. And I'm like, well, well obviously. Splitting <laughs> into two? I don't know if I ever got that mechanic. That's after the second dungeon, so I, I'm not sure if you did either. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. Ezlo, he's a good companion character, but he does get a little annoying from time to time, and he does have a nice story arc we'll get into as we go that is really good. Like, I think he's probably... He's not as bad as Fi or Fee, whatever you want to call her, or Navi, but he does have his downsides as well as his ups, so that's good. But he instantly teaches you that gimmick we talked about where you can shrink down, and then we get to see the tiny people and go into the Minish village. And this is fun because you don't yes. speak their language. You know, I said, can you speak my language? Except they didn't just smile and give me a Vegemite sandwich. They <laughs> tell you to go find the Jabbernut. <laughs> and Wait, I, that's not even written down that just came out of you <laughs> i can't not say it though but they have you go get this jabber nut and it looks like it wants to force its tongue down your throat in a club because you were nice to it and it just very much makes me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah i don't know if you had any thoughts about the jabber nut but when you see it it's like a red seed with a big mouth yeah like, I didn't... the lips <laughs> I didn't think too much about that when that happened. I think Good I way. just, uh, I don't know, I glazed over that part of it. <laughs> I do like, I love the world building and how when you first meet them and don't understand them, it sounds like they're saying Picori over and over. Yeah, they're just like Pico Pico or whatever. Pico de Gallo. Yeah, Pico Picori. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that was cool to see that connection of, oh, that's probably why the humans call them that. And it makes sense. That I didn't even think about that, but it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, you get that jabber nut. It's a pretty quick process. You go find the one guy who does speak Hylian, I guess, and he tells you, oh, you gotta go get a jabber nut over here, and then you go get it, and they're like, hey, now you can talk to us. Woohoo. You need to go get the four elements to reforge the Pecori blade. And then 
It's like, hey, we've got one of the elements in the temple back there, but now it's overrun with monsters. Go have fun. And we enter the Deep Woods Shrine. Did you get to dabble in this dungeon at all? I did. I got to beat this one. I gotta say real quick, though, about the Picori in the village. It's kind of weird to me. Some of them just magically knew that I couldn't speak their language and then now could. So when I spoke to them, it wasn't them being like, oh my gosh, you speak our language? What? It was more like, hey, you can understand me now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I just met you. I just walked into your house. I don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's the best thing. You can walk into these people's houses without being able to speak their language and just throw their pots around because you know Zelda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we do get into the first dungeon. And what are your thoughts on the Deepwood Shrine? Not necessarily like even it. just as a first dungeon, just as a dungeon. Yeah, I liked it. I I love, and, and I, I don't know if the later dungeons do this super well too, but I like how when you shrink down, there is normal-sized stuff that's suddenly massive in the dungeon that you have to interact with. Like the big barrel sitting in the middle of the dungeon that can roll. So you have to roll to open up different doors or go to different areas. I really like uh, different unique types of ways of interacting with the world like that. Oh, I absolutely love that big barrel mechanic you're talking about. It's in that central kind of, not hub room of the dungeon, but you go through the intro and you get to the big room with all the paths you can go down, and it's kind of linear as to which path you need to go down at any time. But there's that big barrel that has these doorways, and it's like, oh, eventually you're going to be able to go out this one, and you have to cut down the things to make it roll. It's, it's all so good. But this is a pretty basic first dungeon. In the scope of some of the other dungeons in the game, I'd say it's not the best, but it is a very solid first dungeon. I mean, it's got the easy puzzles and the easy combat, but it's it's very good. And then we can go ahead and get into the mini-boss here. The Wormy Wiggler Boy, the blue boy with the heart butt. <laughs> I liked him. That was, it was super easy. It's a simple mini-boss for the first dungeon. You hit him in the face, and then his tail is like, oh, now you gotta hit that, and then you do, and he dies. And he gives that you the gust jar. That mini boss gets recycled later in the game, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, in the third, fourth dungeon, somewhere around there, it, it's pretty good. You have to fight multiple at the same time with ice physics in the Temple of Droplets, which we'll get to in a bit. So that's fun. <laughs> but we do get the gust jar from this wormy wiggler boy, and this thing sucks. But that's a pun because it's a vacuum. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually. <laughs> <laughs> despite how much it sucks it's an amazing item oh yeah I, I like it i had so much fun with it especially after you get out of the uh dungeon i just went around and looked for enemies i could suck up <laughs> i mean honestly the ocd in me or whatever makes me enjoy like clearing off dust and dirt from these areas that yes. you can clearly do that and sucking up pots from across gaps is so much fun it's just so satisfying to use and I mean, like we're saying, you can suck stuff up in it. It's a, basically a jar that inhales, and you pull like a pot, and it suctions to the edge, and then you can shoot it out once you've sucked it up, and that's awesome. <laughs> I just love yeah. it. But this thing, it's it's a great item. Uh, it's, it's something interesting. We hadn't really seen anything like this in the Zelda series up to this point, and I love that. But once we do get it, we can now do some more puzzles in the dungeon, and eventually we progress to the final boss, which is the big green chew, technically. It's a normal-sized chew, but since you're tiny, it's massive. And I absolutely love this concept. Right away, I, I like that the game right away is just jumping into the difference between big and small and playing around with that. It's, 
to me it was a delight to have just a normal enemy, one of the most basic enemies, as a final boss for the dungeon, just because you're small. Oh, it's so good. I, I'm, like, blown away at that concept. It's They do it again, which is really awesome, and they make it a little tougher, but I absolutely loved it. I saw this the first time I played the game. I dabbled with it before this, but now <laughs> I've actually played it and all. It's, the best it's such is, a fun concept. right before the boss, uh, boss fight starts, you just see the green shoe come up, and right away, at least for me, right away, I was like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> it's so cool. I absolutely love it. But as far as the fight itself, it's nothing too crazy. You get to use the gust jar to suck away at the goo at the base of the chew, and then he gets all, like, teeter-tottery, wobbly, and then flops down on one side, and you get the whale on him with the sword. And I'll go ahead and say this here. The way you can whale on enemies with the sword is so good. You can just spam the sword button as fast as you can, and Link's like, ha 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 Just like old school Minecraft. He's just swinging just, it so it, quick. Whoever can hit the fastest wins. <laughs> it's so good, and I love it. You can get like oh. probably 15 hits a second in or something. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. I gotta say, one of the most delightful moments I had in this whole game was using the Gust Jar. Getting back in front of the castle, I saw those Octoroks, who are always so freaking annoying, just launching stuff at you. It was... <laughs> I, I, it, I felt like a maniac with how much I loved being able to turn the tables on them and suck up one of them and shoot it at another <laughs> Octorok. I hadn't even thought of that. That's got to be like the most satisfying retribution for getting hit with a rock oh, ever. How do you like that? <laughs> Come on! Now I'm going to hit you with your brother! Deal with it! <laughs> But yeah, we move on. We get the earth element after we defeat the giant green shoe. Well, the regular green shoe that looks giant. And then the elder in the Minish village or whatever tells us to go to Mount Krennel and meet Malari, the Minish smith who can fix our blade. Did you get through this section at all, or did you just get to finish the first dungeon by chance? So, this is where I couldn't finish it. Okay. <laughs> really early in the game, unfortunately. Essentially, we go through Mount Krennel. Well, before we do that, we can get the bombs from a Minish who lives just outside the village, and he gives us the bomb bag and bombs. Nothing too noteworthy about them. They're bombs. They blow up. Uh, but then we can go into Castletown, and we learn about the Kinstones mechanic, and I know you did get to do this. We can go ahead and talk about this. These colorful medallions are hidden all over the world by the Minish, and there's always two pieces to each Kinstone, and by talking to other people, the NPCs, you can fuse Kinstones, which is said to bring good luck. And there's four rarities, green, blue, red, and gold in that order from least to most rare. The gold ones are only used for the story and only found, I believe, nine times. But what's your thoughts on this mechanic? Uh, so I feel like my thoughts on it are colored by the fact that I only got the intro to it. So I never gotten to a point where I needed a certain kinstone to get an item for the quest or something. Uh, from the research I did, I saw a lot of people have their biggest complaints being about the kinstone. But even with the concept explained and seeing how it works out, to me, I, I don't have as much of a problem with it. I thought it was kind of a... I think it's a fun idea how you... It, it adds another interaction you can have with the NPCs, which I like. But what is true is the fact that it's pretty... It ends up being pretty limited in the fact that there's only a few shapes and a few colors... And so once you get later in the game and you've done more than a dozen of these, it starts to feel a little samey. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. I would have loved it if each NPC had their own unique kinstone that you had to find, and you're like, oh, I remember this one from earlier when I got to see this, and then you get to fuse with that NPC, and you've been waiting for a little bit. And that is kind of what they do with the gold kinstones down the line. They only do it a few times, and when they do, it's not overly obnoxious, I would say. They do it in two sections, and I enjoyed it both times. Uh, but I like the way that they encourage exploration, they encourage you to talk to NPCs, and they encourage you to collect more kinstones, and I, I kind of love that. And when you fuse, it always triggers something elsewhere on the map, and it's like, hey, you found this kinstone somewhere, you talked to an NPC, and now you get to go somewhere else and find the reward for it, which... And they actually mark it, too. Yeah, and I could see why people wouldn't like that, but I absolutely love it. And as far as the reactions, I mean, it's nothing too crazy. Like, a chest can appear, a cave might open, or, like, the golden enemies, which... Yeah. I don't know the deal with them, I only really defeated two or three of them. They just pop up with, like, a few things there, and... I enjoyed it. It's nothing too yeah. obtrusive, but it's something if you can if you want to mess with, and if you're not going for completion, I think is a very good mechanic. I think um, as a mechanic, it, it doesn't need to be totally thrown out, like I heard some people saying online. Uh, I think it's something that could have been more developed, and mm -hmm. I'm sure they just didn't have the money or the time to do that. But yeah, with more development, if there were more unique stones, if there is a tracking system. To, like, Ooh. if someone talked to me and I knew they had a certain stone, it would have been nice to be able to find a, go on a map and be like, you know, or I just found this stone. You know, let me check my map and see which people I've talked to, what stones they have so I can match it. I, I could see how it could get annoying where you find one and you have to run around the whole world just looking for the right NPC. For it's like, it. oh, there's, there's really a one in nine chance any NPC has the kinstone that I just got. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay. <laughs> in the kinstones um you have to grind for them right yeah, a little bit i mean personally i always had i i can think of like one or two times that i didn't have the kinstone i needed but i wasn't going around trying to merge with every single person i'm just like oh you have a kinstone cool i'm gonna merge with you but i'm not looking around yeah going to every single character trying to find someone to merge with and i think it works really well i do see what you're saying though it is it could be better but i mean we can say that about anything like hindsight's yeah. 2020 if we really want to nitpick it, we could see the flaws, but I think they did fine with what they were given. Mm, I just remembered what what I was thinking of when I said grind is the shells. Ooh, the mysterious shells. Yeah, those I got into the mechanic with them, but I didn't really. I didn't even write it down. I didn't do much with it. So yeah, so this I is another guy... recycled Wind Waker asset, actually. I don't know yeah, if you knew that. Is. Yeah, in Wind Waker, there's the figurine guy outside the Forest Haven. He's in this game too. He's just in Castletown. And if you bring in Mysterious Shells, he makes figurines. But if you want to explain the mechanic a little more, you can. Go ahead. Um, from what I saw, because this part I didn't get to do much. There's like, there's a crap ton of figurines in this game, aren't there? So many. So, so like, many. I read the number, what is it? Like I'm looking it up right now. More than 50? <laughs> it's an absurd amount. It, it's almost in a figurine for like every single enemy and NPC in the game. And that's yeah. just ridiculous to me. And 136 they... figurines. <laughs> it's a lot. That's like, it's like they, half the memory on this game was just taken up by these freaking statues. Ugh. And then I saw someone was pointing out how they locked a piece of heart behind all the statues. So if you oh. want a piece of heart, you have to get every statue. Which is really annoying because I feel like a big part of Zelda games is... 
for a lot of people, they want to be able to go and get every piece of heart, and usually that's not super duper crazy. But in this particular game, if you want to max out your HP, you're going to have to spend hours and hours and hours of your life grinding these shells just to get every single statue. Which, not even to mention, just getting one statue takes more than 10 seconds. Like, there's a whole cutscene for it. So if you want to get 130 whatever, (laughs) even if you had all the shells on you, you'd you'd still have to sit there for hours just to collect them. And I do believe there is an element of chance to it as well, where, like, you put in X amount of of (laughs) shells, and it's like you have a 40% chance of getting a figurine you haven't already gotten. Uh, I can't imagine Uh, how 100% speedruns for this game are, where you're trying to gamble as much as you can and just get the best possible luck to get that last heart piece. Ugh. But yeah, I didn't, been, I didn't mess with them too much. <laughs> I think I got like three. It might have been the, the King K retrospective that I watched. Shout out to King K. Very um, good. He, he was talking about the math of it, and really your best odds time-wise is just to use one shell over and over and over and over until you get towards the end. Then you just use a bunch. And there are a lot of sections, especially later in the game, where you will find like a hundred mi- mysterious shells at a time. Like, there's a chest from a kinstone fusion that has 50 in it here and there. It's you, They do give you a lot of these shells, and I never really went out of my way and tried to grind for them. And I, I feel like I had quite a few. I could pull up the emulator and find out how much I had. I mean, my Game Boy Advance and find out how many I had. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't really care to, so. Yeah, it's, it's funny how when you were talking about the controls, because on my Game Boy Advance, my controls were actually mapped to ASWD and numpad 1436 so i didn't i didn't have as much of a problem with the controls <laughs> yeah my controls were mapped to a nintendo switch pro controller on my game boy advance but <laughs> on your game boy advance yeah, yeah on my game boy advance yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite running joke by the way I, I love it it's so good but as far as other things you get to collect there are the tiger scrolls did you get the first one of these by chance yeah i got the first one so okay. i could go to the mountain Except for the fact that when I got the first Tiger Scroll, I immediately had to go fight a furry, a cat person. Oh, right outside of the, uh, right outside town there. (laughs) Are there cat people in any other Zelda game? No, but they are spread out quite a bit through this. They're just like, I don't know, they're cats with knives nonetheless. They they look intimidating. Cats already have knives on their paws. They're not too tough to handle though. I don't even know what those enemies are called, but they're in a few places throughout the game. I think they're even in the Dark Castle we're going to get to in a little bit. It's crazy. But there are eight of these Tiger Scrolls. I'll just run kind of through real quick what the attacks are. There's the Spin Attack, which, I mean, hold B, spin, good. There's the Rock Breaker, which lets you break pots and rocks with your sword, which is something I thought was weird to lock behind a scroll. Because at the beginning, you cannot break pots with your sword, which just feels so wrong. I was so so upset that I couldn't just break pots with my sword. But you, you do quickly later get to. Uh, the third one's a dash attack, which lets you roll and then, like, lunge forward with your sword out after your roll. And it looks really cool and it's really fast, but it's so hard to hit right because you have to space it out. I used it more for movement than I did for combat, but if you do hit somebody, you do an instant spin attack there, too, which is really cool. But it's nothing crazy. That's actually the roll attack, my bad. The dash attack lets you charge forward with your sword out while you're running with the Pegasus boots, which you do get in a little bit. Spoiler alert. And at first, you just run with the Pegasus boots, but once you get the dash attack, you hold your sword out like you would in other 2D Zeldas, and you get it that way. 
there's the sword beam, which, I mean, classic. When you have full health, you shoot a laser out of your sword. Uh, there's one that lets you fill your split gauge way quicker. We'll get into that whole mechanic in a little bit. Then there's the peril beam, which is the sword beam, but for when you have one heart or less, which is really cool. And then there's the great spin, which lets you just repeatedly spin over and over again. And you have to get the other seven before you can get the great spin, which is cool. Anyways, after all those collection and shenanigans and whatnot, we then head to Mount Grenell. And this is where Ezlo helps you scale the mountain. And this area is a lot of fun to explore because it is a big mountain with a bunch of caves and stuff. But he can be, your hat can be used with whirlwinds to kind of glide across little areas. Like you jump into the whirlwind, hold your hat out, fills up with air, and you can kind of just do, 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 mosey along the air. That's a fun mechanic. Oh, it's, it's pretty fun. neat. Although it, it, it was so tough lining up with these floating tornado points that like boosted your glide. Because they're up from the ground, but we're still on a 2D game. Yeah, so you just, just kind of have to guess. And I mean, depth does get a little better as you go on with it, but it's something you have to kind of get comfortable with. I could see why somebody would have an issue with that. Um, but yeah, this whole area it was a really fun experience of both puzzles and combat. They balanced it really well in the overworld, which was awesome. And then we do eventually get to another Minish town, just Malari's Mine, where you can leave him the broken Bakori blade for him and his apprentices or whatever, his seven dwarves to put back together. <laughs> And then they're like, eh, while you do that, you can probably go get the element. It's in the, the, the human mine over there, so you get to get big and go through your second dungeon, which is the Cave of Flames. I'll just kind of run through it real quick, and we can kind of touch on what we want to. This dungeon's also pretty linear and easy. Uh, it didn't give me much of any problems, but it's really fun to run around and explore in. But it kind of felt a little too short for me to really enjoy. And there are these mine carts that are really cool and fun to use. It's like a nice little individual dungeon gimmick. Uh, the mini boss is a group of spiny chews, which are like rock chews, and when they jump, they do the spikes, but they're easy to defeat. And then you get the cane of Pocky, Patchy, I, I don't know how to say it, P-A-C-C-I. It's, it's a magic wand that flips stuff upside down and puts kinetic, kinetic energy into holes for you to like jump ledges, jump up, which is a really cool mechanic. And then you oh, get to fight. Oh, that's what those holes are for. Ah, yeah, that is what those. You I also get some so puzzles much fun with finding holes and just jumping into them. It was so <laughs> funny to me that in this game you can just sit in a hole if you want to. It is neat. And then you, there's also some good puzzles where you get to put stuff in the holes later, and you got to try to figure out. It's it's all good. But yeah, you can also use them to shoot up in the air, which is awesome. <laughs> the boss here is Glee Rock, not to be confused with Gleeock from the early Zelda games. It's uh like. A dragon swan in lava. He's white with a big rock on his back, and he's got like long neck. And basically, you have oh, to get around to his sides or the back of him and hit his rock with the cane, which then sends it up and down, and it breaks. And then his head flops forward at the edge of the lava pit. You get to run along his neck and then wail on where the shell was. And then he gets mad and blows a bunch of lava everywhere. It took me a little bit to figure out that was what I was supposed to do. I was waiting for an opening, and I'm like, okay, where's the opening? It's been a little bit. And then I'm like, oh, I just have to do this. And I thought it was going to be an easy fight once I figured that out, but they did pretty good at scaling it as it goes to make it a little bit harder. And there's just so much lava at the end. <laughs> there's so much fire. Trying to get around is a little hectic, and I love it. But then it's just pretty much rinse and repeat. It just gets a little harder. Is, is he anything like the... I don't know the name of him. The Lava Boss from Wind Waker on Dragon Roost? Not quite. 
Not quite. I'd say it's it's kind of a similar concept. He's sitting in the center of the lava pool, and you do have that thin area around it. But we're not jumping over him. We're hitting his back or sides with the cane instead. It, it's a similar theme, I guess. Kind of a similar theme to King Dodongo and Ocarina of Time as well. They love their lava pits with a little border. <laughs> Anyways. It's just, another, it's just another Zelda-ism that this game yeah. loves to throw in. Really, yeah. this whole game, it's like how many, how much, how Zelda can we make this? <laughs> and I think they do a damn good job at doing that. But once we do finish the Cave of Flames, which in all honesty, it is a good dungeon. There's a lot going on. I love the minecarts and the aesthetic. Although I like the Temple of uh, the, the Deepwood Shrine better. Upon returning, though, we get the White Sword from Malari, which is just a reforged Pecori Blade without any of the magic powers yet. And he says, if you want the magic powers, you have to go to the Sanctuary hidden in the castle that only opens once every hundred years, and you can infuse the sword with the power of the elements. Just like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is that coincidental Zelda thing where it's like, you can't just make it... I, I, I don't know. It's just like, oh, this really aligns this well? Like, obviously, it's Zelda. <laughs> they and, love their once-in-a-century uh, stories. It, it's divine intervention and all that. It's lined up to do this. But, like, come on. Come <laughs> on. What if he was born three days later or whatever? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a vehicle <laughs> for the story, and I guess it's fine. Yeah, imagine this game happening the exact same way, except you get to the blacksmith, and he's like... Dang, that was open like two days ago. You're gonna have to wait another hundred years. <laughs> That'd be tough. Well, I mean, the whole thing is, as we go, as we learn, uh, Vadi's also waiting for the thing to open. So it's like, oh, he wouldn't have planned his attack until this time. Even still, I think it could just be like, you have to unlock these abilities to get in or whatever. And he's waiting yeah, for you to been, do that. I don't it, know. It didn't need the, the it only opens at this that's time. a nitpick it's a story vehicle that's really all it is anyways we do then go to the castle and we get to infuse the sword with two elements which now gives us the ability to split in two in certain areas because that's Ooh. the power of the pecori blade and i saw some gameplay where you end up being able to split into four different ones it turns into um, the four is, sword did this yeah did this game come out before or after four swords after uh, yes, after, it came out okay. after. Yeah, I think they set up the lore for it a little bit and then made a whole game out of it. And that's Minish Cap. Okay. But yeah, we do that. The puzzle, the way they do puzzles with this mechanic is really good. Essentially, you have to charge up a spin attack and walk over these little glowing spots on the floor. Mm -hmm. And there are different like layouts you can do. Like Link has to be here, and then the shadow has to be down two pixels to the right and one to the left. That makes no sense. Down two and left one or something like that to line it up with where them, you need to be. When you have them all copied, do they all move the same? So yes, the yeah. It, like it's all locked with your movement. walls and stuff? Yeah, and I mean, sometimes they set it up where it's like, oh, you have to avoid these walls with all of your guys at once, and it's a little tricky, mm -hmm. but I, I honestly enjoyed the mechanic. That is a cool mechanic. I think it's really good, and I wish they'd I do really more like stuff like this. Like that. And, and it feels good to finish the puzzles, too. Although there's some you can cheese a little bit, but it, it's whatever. <laughs> it feels like, um, shoot, I'm blanking on which game it is. I, I'm sure a couple Zeldas do this, but there's some Zelda games where you go into a room and there's, like, an enemy that just copies all your movements. Like Dark Link. A Link Between Worlds does that. And so you have to, you have to purposely get the enemy to, to move how you want it to, to, like, open a door or whatever. That's always fun. <laughs> but yeah, so we can then leave the castle with our new copy ability. And we get lore here. Vani confronts us. 
and plot twist, Vadi's one of the Minish, and he used to be Ezlo's apprentice craftsman, because Ezlo's like the lord of Minish sorcery and craftsmanship. <laughs> oh! So, I didn't know all the details to that. It, so, Vati, did he want to be a human? Was that, like, his wish? So, I'm kind of, I'll get into that here in a second. I got a little bit on the lore. One second, I gotta sneeze. Maybe. There it is. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, Vati, essentially, Ezlo makes this magical cap that grants the desire, the wearer's desires. And it's designed for the humans to make life great or whatever. And Vati sees it, and he's like, I'm gonna go be evil now. So, he puts I mean, on the hat. And now he's evil. <laughs> Ezlo, he kind of... Why would you make that? <laughs> it was meant to make humans' lives better. But anyways, that's the clone... Like, that's the same way social media was supposed to make our lives better. <laughs> oh, like, you're this guy really see what all your friends he could make doing. a magic wish hat in that nothing bad would happen. <laughs> <laughs> and the quote they give us is pretty good. Body went from, and I'm quoting directly here, a meek, min a meek minuscule nothing to the greatest sorcerer alive. <laughs> Like, oh, they really shit on him before they pick him up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he's setting out to claim the life force from the sanctuary that he can't find because he's not pure of heart. And this is a neat little development for Ezlo. He's blaming himself for the whole plot. Granted, it is 100% his fault. And he genuinely feels bad. But I love that they give Ezlo that level of, level of depth instead of him being like, I can't believe he stole this hat. It's like, that probably wasn't a good idea, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he blames himself. It's pretty good. I I, I enjoy the depth Poor they guy. give the character there. We can then head to the western woods, and Ezlo senses a disturbance in the force. But by that, I mean he's like, I think there's something going on at the castle. And then we get a cutscene at the castle where Vadis approaches the king, and he's like, mm, you're under my control now. It's kind of like that Lord of the Rings Shoot. thing where the king's possessed by the bad guy. Yeah. And uh, now the king's like army go find the light force and then the army is trying to find the light force but they know nothing about it <laughs> you can talk to some of the soldiers and they're like if i was a light force where would i be what does this thing even look like has anybody ever seen it and the writing is really good there but then i messed around with ken stones for a little bit you can get some stuff from it they lock a couple of the bottles behind it i maxed out my wallet here i got the boomerang i got the pegasus boots which are required it's some Kinstone stuff there. Pegasus boots. And the way that they do the Pegasus boots here is a fun little side quest where we have to wake up the tailor who has shoes made for him by the Minish, but he thinks he just makes shoes in his sleep. They're like, oh, he's really sleepy. Go get him drugs that wake him up, basically. You have to go get a mushroom <laughs> from the woods. <laughs> and uh, then he wakes up and he's like, ah, oh, believe it or not, I have this habit of making shoes in my sleep. Let me put the finishing touches on these and you can have them. And you get the Pegasus like the boots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, we can then head off to the Caster Wilds, which is a swampy area. And this is the first time we get the gold kinstones, which I think makes it makes a lot of sense. We have to find three of them to fuse with statues that then break a rock to let us into the third dungeon. Uh, we fight a Dark Nut for the first time in this, and they're the Wind Waker Dark Nuts, but a 2D sprite. It's so cool. Oh, cool. The so way you fight them... Uh, no, they stay in the armor the whole time. Oh, gotcha. But it's... I, I honestly like the fights with them. It's tough. You actually have to know what you're doing to beat a Dark Knight. Uh, the last two are in caves blocked by Igors that you need the bow to kill. And naturally, we find our bow here. <laughs> it's just in a cave. You get the bow. And it's a bow. I don't have anything special to say about it. 
They could have just easily years used... Of, what was that? Years of video gaming has taught me that all the good stuff is hidden in a cave. Oh, always. <laughs> Either that or after you defeat a tough enemy. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they could have easily just used keys here, but I love the fact that they used the kinstone mechanic instead to lock progression. Like, you could have been like, oh, you gotta go find three keys, but they're like, no, you gotta find the three kinstones and then match them with the corresponding statue. That then breaks a big rock and you can enter the wind ruins, which is kind of like a forgotten temple deal. It feels a lot like an extension of the Caster Wilds until you get into the dungeon, and I think it's really good. And they also introduce an enemy here that you have to fight both big and small. Like you have to shrink down to go inside the robot enemy and turn it on or off. And they're used to solve puzzles or be defeated, and it's really cool. I love That's that. A super cool mechanic. I love the way that they use the gimmick in this game, honestly. This but, is where I think it was, I think it was King K again. He was talking about some of his complaints with this dungeon, how some stuff was underutilized. And I think a really good point he made is how cool would it have been if an entire dungeon was just one of those enemies and you have to like try and navigate. God, them. that would be so cool. Yeah, wouldn't it? I what would make a dungeon like that really cool is making it so it's not like it, most dungeons you enter are designed for people and you're just kind of exploring. You know, Maybe it's ruined, you have to go around certain obstacles. But I like the idea of a dungeon that is totally not at all designed to be a dungeon. And you, the whole challenge is you having to try and navigate this weird new space. So I mean, that's, that's a, kind of like the inside of the Deku Tree or Jabu Jabu's Belly in Ocarina of Time. Yeah, It's a yeah. great concept and I love those dungeons. Granted, Jabu Jabu's Belly's weird and I'm not a big fan just because the aesthetics disgusting <laughs> but it's it's a cool concept and i like what you're saying yeah. there so after i heard the idea of that concept now i'm just like ah oh, man that could have been a dungeon but yeah the dungeon here is the fortress of winds and it's really good in my opinion slightly labyrinthian but you're not gonna get lost and they kind of nailed the ruined temple theme here uh there are these giant sand walls that you get to dig through they look really tacky but you do get the moments that let you dig I mean, that's really all they do. You walk up to a sand wall or a sand door and you can dig through it. And you can also dig up stuff in the ground and find stuff there, but I honestly never did that. <laughs> um, is this the dungeon... dungeon that goes up in the, into the sky? No, that's the next dungeon. Mm. I believe. I don't know. <laughs> I know what the dungeons are. I don't think this is the one you're talking about, though. This gotcha. dungeon does have holes in the floor, though, like the third dungeon in A Link to the Past, I believe. Where you can fall through and it's just frustrating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing too bad. I didn't... I mean, it, I fell through, like, twice, and I'm like, oh, come on, are you kidding me? But that was really it. We eventually do traverse through and get to the boss, Mazal, and I loved this boss. It's the basic Nintendo floating head with the hands that have eyes on them, and they nailed oh, it. Oh, awesome. They nailed it. That's I classic. mean... Again, it's one of those Zelda-isms we were talking about. You get to shoot the hands with the arrows, and then you get the whale on the eyeball with the sword. It's that same satisfying mash the sword button. Hey. But then, once both the eyes are defeated, the mouth of the head opens up, and instead of throwing a bomb in it like you would in Wind Waker, you get to shrink down and go inside the boss. And See, that's a great use of this mechanic. I that's love it. creative. Love it. And that's the thing, if you were going to do a dungeon inside an enemy like that, you're already small, you can't do a shrinking boss like this. But you go inside, and That's I was true. kind of bummed out a little bit when you go inside the boss. All you do is wail on a pillar. 
and eventually you have to dig to get to the pillar, but that's really it. it it's still a good boss fight, and I enjoy it, and I'm going to look back at it fondly. And he has a laser attack in the later phases that forces you shrink down. Like, if you get hit, you're small now. And you have to go regrow yeah. to finish what you're doing before you can go back in, and that's just awesome. I, I like the idea that it's really simple once you get inside of him, because, um, you know, we just played Battle for the Bikini Bottom, and uh -huh. in that game, you have the mecha Spongebob you have to fight in the end, and it really kills the momentum when you get inside of him, and it's like a whole mini-level in the middle of this boss fight. Mm -hmm. My only gripe with it, though, is I feel like Bikini Bottom, it's like a whole level inside the boss, which is just kind of gross, and it's not even a good level mm -hmm. of that. With this, if they just had, like, if it still shot at you or did something other than literally just be a pillar, I think it would be better. Uh, like, gotcha. if it moved around a little bit or did something interesting. But, yeah. yeah. We you do defeat him. Fun. Go for it. If there was just a tinier version of the boss waiting for you in there. <laughs> like, that would be awesome. I would love that. But once you do defeat the boss, we don't get the wind element. We instead get the Ocarina of Wind because the wind tribe who used to live there... They said, I don't like this world, I'm going to go to the skies. Kind of like all these Americans are like, I'm going to Canada. Just go up. <laughs> We're going up. Just go up. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the wind tribe, like I'm saying, they had to go all Jimmy Neutron and had to blast. So they fled, fled for the skies with the element. But you do get the Ocarina of Wind. And I don't know if you notice any of the crests you find on the ground, like the tombstone looking things. Yeah. As I those like, sure. these look familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. They're all fast travel points. That, I was like, okay, I gotta. Anytime I see one, I definitely gotta interact with it then. Yeah, they're all the fast travel points, and when you get the Ocarina of Wind, you can play it and warp to any of the crests you've removed nice. the tombstone from. Which, I mean, yeah, honestly, um, go for it. Isn't that a lot like. I'm trying to remember now. Link Between Worlds and Link to the Past? I yeah. Link's Awakening as well. Like yeah. They all have an Ocarina like that, but it it's. Honestly, doesn't feel too necessary. The world is really small, and I found myself often just running to these different places instead of warping, because I, I don't know. <laughs> just having to go into the menu is not fun. <laughs> uh, naturally, though, after we do get the Ocarina of Wind, we set off to go get the last element on the ground in Lake Hylia. We get the flippers from the Minish Elder in Castletown, and there's a cool little section where you have to retrieve out overdue library books. Because the elder lives in a book in the library, but you can't get to him because <laughs> yeah. the books they use to climb are broken. <laughs> See, that's a side. That's a really good side quest. I like that. I like it. And then all the people who have overdue books, you have to do a puzzle to get their book. They're not making it easy. They're not like, oh yeah, it's over here. You have to actually find the power bracelets, which lets you move big things when you're tiny. So little Minish Link can push pots around, for instance. Huh. And it's See, I... I wish on the fly I could articulate why I like side quests like that more than than just a fetch quest. It know? makes you engage like, with the world. Yeah, it does. You know, a, a fetch quest where you just walk up and they say, I need this, give it to me. Uh, you know, in the end, you're doing the same thing as this quest where, where you're just going and getting stuff to, you know, further the story. But... It's just nice when they can dress it up a bit and have it seem more tangible. And they like, make you like, use your, your brain for it. like a split second. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so good. But we do get the flippers from him. There's like a little, I wouldn't even call it a mini dungeon, like a cave he has you go through. And you get the flippers and now you can swim, which is something that's necessary because there's a lot of water around here that 
and, and like you drown if you water. don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anywhere there's water, you can now swim in it. <laughs> you can do like a little flip off the edge and go swimming. I don't like the sound of that. I thought they were leading to a water dungeon because now we head to Lake Hylia and enter the Temple yeah. of Droplets. And I can tell you right now, this would have been your favorite dungeon because it's not the water dungeon. It's the ice dungeon. Ugh, it's even worse. <laughs> the oh, puzzles no. are all water and ice, and honestly, it's not too bad, but the ice can be anno annoying, of course. It's ice mechanics. Yeah. But they made me excited when they give you the big key pretty early, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe that whole quest they had us do, they're counting that as part of the dungeon, and this is a really short one. But then they're like, lol, nah. There's another half of the dungeon. You just used the big key to get back here. I'm like, oh, you dicks. Oh, it's a sick wow. joke, and I hate it. <laughs> Anyways, really tricky there. Once you once you use the big key, you get to fight the mini boss, the first mini boss, with ice physics, and there's two of them. <laughs> it's the Wiggler <laughs> Boy from the first dungeon here. Is that fun? No, <laughs> no, it's ice <laughs> physics. It's never fun. But you do get the flame lantern from the big electric chew, which is the first dungeon's boss, final boss. But now it's an electric chew instead of a green chew. And now you get ice dark water puzzles, which just makes it even better. <laughs> and then you get to fight the giant Octorok in the end, which is just an awesome boss fight here. Is it a regular Octorok or is it actually giant? It's a regular Octorok, but you're tiny in this dungeon. So it's, <laughs> That's it's, awesome. it's a I big Octorok. So <laughs> and the, the fight is really fun. It was a little difficult for me, honestly. It starts with rock tennis, which is just like energy tennis, but it's a rock mm -hmm. and you only deflect it the one time. It's not like a volley. It's just ding, done. Uh, once you do that, he freezes himself because it's cold. And then you have to take your flame lantern and light its tail on fire because its tail dries out or whatever. And this can be a little tough because it's constantly spinning and trying to shoot fireballs at you while it's frozen. And you just have to get to the back and it's tough to keep up. Uh, but if you do get that down, then he turns off the lights at some point. You have to use your lantern to see, charges at walls, and there's falling rocks. But really, the goal is deflect rock, light tail on fire, rinse and repeat. They add some more stuff to make it a little bit more interesting there, but you then move on. After that, yeah. though, we do get the water element. We can then exit the temple and meet a ghost king named Gustav, which is just great. <laughs> Gustav, what's up, man? <laughs> That's almost like an Italian mob name, but not quite. Like, you got Cousin Tony over there, but you, you don't got Cousin Gustav. <laughs> hey, I'm Gustav. How can I... What can I do you for? Ah, huh? Gustav, my paisan. My paisan. <laughs> it doesn't really well, work. What, what was important about meeting him? He basically tells you that you have to... Uh, oh, no, what does he tell you? I didn't write it down. I'm dumb. He basically says, I've got a puzzle for you. Come find me. And you have to go to the <laughs> Royal Valley to find his grave. Is this like... Uh, again, was it Le Lemmy Winks from South Park? Not quite. It's the ghosts. Not cool. Eh, it's similar to Lemmy Winks, I guess. It's similar. You can say that. That's a very good like, analysis. Like Gustav, was his was his death relevant to him being a ghost, or was he? No, just he's a just ghost? a ghost king. He's got the same exact sprite as Daphne's, but as a ghost. It, it's it's weird. Anyways, I went back to the temple, and you can infuse your sword with the third element. You do have to, so you can use the splitting into three mechanic now to do some puzzles. Hey. Um, what is this? 
oh, oh, when you first get there, though, you can't just run into the castle and go to the sanctuary like you could before because the king is possessed. He's got the castle on lockdown, so you have to do that thing where you sneak through the shrubs, the hedges, to get past oh, some guards. It, it's a short section, but it's fun. And then you get to sneak in through the sewers of the ca of the castle, basically, and get in the sanctuary that way, and you can do that. But it's fun stuff. I also went out of my way to get the remote bombs here, which is just an upgrade to your bombs, and they detonate whenever you want, and it can be faster. But they're also really good for combat. It's, it's a good upgrade there. After that, I set out for the super spoopy Royal Valley, which is just a, a dark woods graveyard-themed area. You gotta have the spooks. Oh, you gotta have a spook. <laughs> we get to fight Speaking some ghosts spooks, and some crows. season is coming upon us uh, quicker than expected. Do you know if we have anything uh, that we're considering for a spooky episode? We we have a couple things. Should we go ahead and tease this? Let's tease it real quick. Actually, you know what? If you want, go in the comments and let us know if you would rather have us cover Eternal Darkness or Geist. For the Halloween episode, <laughs> I was gonna say go in the comments and guess what it's gonna be, and then we could we could just take whatever the best <laughs> guess was. I don't know. I've heard Geist <laughs> and Eternal Darkness are games, yeah. <laughs> so we can play them. <laughs> I, I I would be very down to playing. I hate horror games. I'm not good with them. So I'd be down to be playing a horror game that like I wouldn't normally want to play just for the camera. I don't know that I have played any, like, true horror games, so that may be something that's fun. We'll, we'll get there next month. We'll get there in spooky season. But <laughs> moving on, we fight some ghosts and crows, and we get to meet another great fairy here. There's a few of them all throughout the world. And a great fairy. Might I say, the fairies in this game, they aren't as uh, ho horny as past fairies. <laughs> and honestly, I kind of missed the whole models with the pointy boobs from Ocarina of Time. <laughs> Yeah, man, they really, Ocarina of Time really went kind of risque with them, especially the original uncensored models. It's so weird. <laughs> like, why did you give them yeah, such it's... such boob? <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> out there. that was you just something I, I wanted to, to point out. It's such a trope of having the, the hot great fairies. When are we going to get great fairy dudes? That's got to come next, right? <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom, check it out. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be interesting. One day. One day, I'm sure. But back to the Royal Valley, though, we do get to go through a dark maze where they give you obvious hints on signs. It's like, go up. <laughs> go the opposite of the direction you went last time. Go the same direction you went two times ago. It's just like you have to remember what you did, but it's it's whatever. These are like, those are like the kind of games I come up with for my students while I'm student teaching. Like the most basic... <laughs> Just tell you what to do type Just of stuff. Just use your brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, here, it's a mess. I'm, I'm going to get you 90% of the way there. Now here's 10%. I hope you can get that. <laughs> Anyways, we get out of the puzzle and we go to Dompe's shack. You get a 2D sprite of Dompe, which is awesome. And you tell him, hey, we saw the ghost of the king. We've got to go through the gate. And he's like, oh, okay, here's the key. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Like, no doubt anything like that. If you saw the Ghost of the King, obviously you deserve to go through. But once you leave Dompe's house, some birds steal the thing and you have to knock it out of... You have to knock them and the key out of the tree to retrieve it. It's just annoying. But then you go in there and you get to find the key and you do some splitting puzzles. And Gustav gives you a golden kinstone and says, Find the source of the flow. 
which just just why anyways you go to the waterfall <laughs> and this is where you get to go to the cloud tops you go through veal falls it's kind of a cool section with just some caves and you fuse kinstones oh there's one thing i wanted to say here he gives you that gold kinstone and says find the the source of the flow and you go to the veal falls and you're at the base of the waterfall and there's a door that you fuse the kinstones with right there oh cool like, I, I would have loved it if they had it, like, at the end, you have something you have to fuse with instead of just, oh, yeah, you're here. But that's just a little gripe there. Anyways, we can then get to a big whirlwind that takes us to the cloud tops. And we do a pretty intricate puzzle that leads us through the cloud tops and has us gather more golden kinstones and fuse them with some magic clouds that eventually open a whirlwind to the Wind Tribe's compound. And the Wind Tribe, they already know what we're up to. In the, they send us to the aptly named Palace of Winds for the last element. And this dungeon is a badass 2D late game dungeon. The music's so good. The platforming, air quotes, is somewhat challenging. The puzzles are great. And, I mean, there's an increasingly more Wizrobe mini-boss, which is awesome. Like, at first, it's just one. Once you defeat the one Wizrobe, there's two. You defeat the two, and now there's four. And you defeat oh, the gosh. four, and now there's eight. <laughs> And I love that. It's so good. There's another big key fake out, which is not great. And there's a second mini boss, which is a red dark nut. It's just a harder version of the dark nut. <laughs> I, I feel like, are there only two fake outs? Yes. And this is the last dungeon? Well, technically kind of, yeah. Yeah, besides like the castle. Yeah. So I, I get, it kind of gets a pass since it's so late then. Doing two fake-outs, to me, is a huge red flag. Because from then on, you're just always going to suspect it's... And this one was the last. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, now you're not going to have that again. But <laughs> anyways, uh, when you go through the second half of the dungeon, it's a lot more of that same really good platforming from the first half. And you get Rock's Cape that lets you like jump and glide. Which always feels a little weird in a Zelda game, but they do it really well. There's a lot of wind puzzles here that you get to soar through, and I, I love it. And there's a lot of jumping up and down. It's Real quick, um, can you hear my cat in this no, recording? I cannot. He's so loud, he won't stop meowing. He's, I can see him looking at the window, just like... Oh yeah, he wants... He wants to go where that dish is right now because it's in his way, so he's he's screaming at us upset. <laughs> he can't go there. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Back into this, though. <laughs> Anyways, once we progress through this dungeon, which honestly I just loved, you then get to go into the boss fight, and I think that this is like the big, the really good boss fight. I think this is the best boss fight in this game even better than the final boss fight we're going to get to in a little bit. It's a pair of Gjorgs, the big flying manta ray things. And this boss fight is awesome. Oh, you have to yeah. jump in between the two of them, and you have to do splitting with your sword to hit certain eyeballs in a certain pattern. And then you get to jump to the other one, and you got to avoid all the attacks. It's a lot going on, and it's so satisfying. I love it. This fight is so good. Fight. It's a boss fight with death in a 2D game, in it. In it. From what I saw, it pulls it off really well. It's awesome. The jumping in between them feels a little weird at times, just because it's tough to line up with the limited jumping mechanic you get. But it, it's really good, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Anyways, once we do get, once we do beat them, we get that fourth element, and we can head back to the castle to then make our sword into that four sword, where we can split all throughout. 
And with the four sword comes a magical charge beam that's just absolutely badass. You do a it's like a spin attack, and then it shoots the spin attack forward like the charge beam. It's it's oh, so cool. cool. Anyways, then we get more stained glass. Four swords together. What was that? We gotta play four swords together. Dude, we we really do. One day, keep an eye on the YouTube channel if you haven't already. By the way, rate, review, like, subscribe, follow, comment, whatever it is you can do to engage, do it because you know we're great. (laughs) You've listened this far. Yeah, if you've been listening to us ramble on about the Minish Cap for over an hour. Please subscribe. <laughs> Anyways, we get more stained glass lore about how the world almost ended, but Link saved it using the Picori Blade, Light Force, Triforce, all that stuff. The Light Force that Vadi is seeking is actually just a piece of the Triforce that is within Zelda. Oh. So that's cool. Wow. <laughs> we don't get Triumph Forks, we get the Light Force. So, <laughs> Anyways, Vadi was snooping as we went into the Sanctuary, and he is like, oh, thanks for leading me here, Teehee. And then he zaps us again and heads off to harvest the light force. We wake up in the middle of the sanctuary, and now Hyrule Castle's been fully taken over, and it's dark Hyrule Castle, and everyone's turned into stone and all that stuff. The king's been locked up, and he's turned to stone, and you get to free him from his jail cell, and he gives you a key, and he's like, we have to do something, but you you seem to have a pretty good grasp on it. I'm old. You do it. It's like, (laughs) gee, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, this is an awesome, like, final capstone dungeon. I think it does better than some of just the Ganon's Towers boss rematches and stuff. There are a lot of good puzzles, some really good combat, and the game throws a ton of tough enemies all at you at once, slaps you on the ass, and says, go get them. I love it. There's a section where you just have to go into four rooms and fight a bunch of Dark Nuts. <laughs> it's it's like so that. fun. I love it. I absolutely love it. But then, once you do get to the end... You then see Vadi, and he's like, oh, by the time the three bells toll, I'll have Zelda's life force, and I'll rule the world, or whatever. And there's actually a timer for you to get through to the end of the castle and confront him. And if you don't get to the end by the end of by the time the third bell chimes, game over. You lose. Oh, shoot. Which is a really cool mechanic. But, I mean, all you had to do was go through two rooms, and you have to fight a bunch of the furries, and then a bunch of the dark nuts. It wasn't anything too crazy. There's a splitting puzzle in there, too. But then we do get to confront Body, and the final boss fight is okay. <laughs> Honestly, kind it's of a letdown game. compared to some of these other ones. The Georg pair is my favorite. I feel like after the Georg pair, it's just kind of hard to to follow that up. Yeah, and I mean, basically what happens now is you get like his Aghanim phase or whatever, where he's a big wizard and he's got eyes spinning around. And when you break all the eyes, you get to hit him. Once you hit him enough, he's like, I'm dead now, but wait, there's more. Now I'm just a giant floating eye, and he's surrounded by eight little eyes, which you then have to shoot and figure out which ones you need to split into to hit with your sword. And then you just get the whale on him, and four links all at once get the whale on the eye. It's really cool. But then after defeating him, you win, and Zelda's free from her stone imprisonment, and we save the day. But wait, there's more. The castle starts to tremble like the morning after I eat Taco Bell, and now we have to fight more body, because, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's more of him? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, we have to flee the sanctuary. It's not like a Metroid game where you're running all throughout it. It's very linear, and you get to the end. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if there's a timer or anything here. But then he warps us back to the arena, and now he's in his true form, Body's Wrath. Which is just a big eye with shadow arms. This feels very Dragon Ball. A little bit. 
a little bit. <laughs> I initially thought the first two forms were kind of lame in comparison to some of the other dungeon bosses, but this one kind of makes up for it. I wouldn't say it gives it a pass, because it's not, like, great, but it does a little bit more of what I like there. I mean, you get to use the cane, because what he does is he'll send his shadow arms underground and they pop up somewhere else on the stage. You hit the arm with the cane, and it, like, pops out of the ground, and you get to go in the arm... And there's like a bunch of little eye things floating around and you have to find the one that's looking at you and wail on it. <laughs> and like you do that, then the arm's defeated, you have to do it to the other arm. And then after that, you go into Minish size and we get to play energy tennis. But there's no volley, it's just he shoots energy at you, you deflect it, and then you wail. It's, it, it could do more, but it's it's a fine final boss. But now the body's defeated, we're at the end here. Vadi's been defeated, and Ezlo has returned to his original form. He's now a Minish. And then using Vadi's cap, Ezlo puts it on Zelda, and her wishes come true, and everything's fixed back to normal. Poof, we're good. <laughs> the castle's restored, all the bad guys disappear, the people are unpetrified, and Ezlo then gets to return to the land of the Minish. And he has some of those parting words that trigger a little emotion in you. Almost like Fi does in Skyward Sword, to a lesser extent, though. Yeah. And then... He gives us a nice green cap that is not sentient and heads through the door between realms as it closes for another century and the credits roll. Honestly, like just thinking about that scene, it gets me a little bit. It's it's so nice and I absolutely love it. It stirs up a little bit of emotion after that big cutscene there. Oh, nice. <laughs> but that is everything I have to say about the story of the Legend of Zelda the Minish King. Hey... I think that that was worth me rambling on for extra amount of time. It was fun. Yeah, I, 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 I'm being genuine when I say I wish I could have finished it. I wish I had more time for it because the little bit I did get to play uh, was a was just a delight. And it visually, it's just an amazing game that I want to. It's one of those games where I just like being in it. You know, I don't even have to do anything. It just looks good enough for me to run around for a while and have a good time. It almost makes me wish the world was bigger just for me to run around in, but I see why yeah. it wasn't. I like I understand. But. Yeah, it's such a it's such a precise little package of a game. Oh yeah, it's so good. But before we close this out, yeah, where does the Minish Cap stand? Based on what you know, of course, where does the Minish Cap stand on your ranking of Zelda games? Is it up there with the big three D adventures or? Is it at the See, top of 2D or? What's really tough is that Zelda is one of those rare series where every game is pretty good. Like they're except for like the CDIs, of course. We don't talk about that. That's more trivia, you know. Um, every game is just really solid. Uh, this game I would put above Link's Awakening, not Link's Awakening. Sorry, uh, Zelda Two. Obviously, it's called. Um, it, it sucks that I liked it so much. But every other Zelda game, I just end up putting on top of it if I were, if I had to rank them. Oh, personally, I see where you're coming from, and I think that there is obviously a clear gap between your Breath of the Wild and Wind Waker and oh, yeah. Twilight Princess. But based on the way it has aged in its current state, I'd say it's pretty well up there. It's honestly, I like it more than Link's Awakening. I like it more than mm -hmm. Link's to the Past, Zelda One, even. Zelda 2, obviously, but, I mean, it's good. I haven't played the Oracles games yet, so I don't have any input on those, but I'd say this is, like, 
if we're doing a tier list, it's probably a high B tier or a low A tier. And yeah, if we were doing tier lists, everything would be A and B, and then this would be among the Bs. I'd say it's Low top third, probably probably right at like the thirty three percent line in Zelda games. I really fond mm-hmm. of this one, and it's something I'm gonna come back to at some point. I don't know yeah. when. We're busy all the time between this and life, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to being able to come back to this game eventually. It's this just... game, in my opinion, after playing it, it's super underrated. It really is. Oh yeah, uh, criminally. Because, yeah, even though. Even though we don't rank it among the top Zelda games, as a game by itself, it's still really good, really fun. And as a, as a, I don't want to say hardcore because I haven't played every single Zelda game, but I feel like I'm up there in terms of Zelda fans. As a Zelda fan, it felt like, I felt validated as a Zelda fan. It was yeah. like a love letter to Zelda. The, the fact that they... The entire game is just little Zelda-isms stitched together to make this whole game. I love it. It's so good. We love this game. Anyways, I think that about ties this one up. We're shorter than South Park Stick of Truth, which I think is a good sign for this episode, but thank you all very, very much for listening to us ramble on about this game. If you haven't already, if you listen to us talk for almost an hour and a half and you haven't subscribed or anything, what's wrong with you? (laughs) follow us yeah do that we need we want to grow so anyways buy our vinyls buy our vinyls that we don't have yet (laughs) we're we're working on eight tracks first though so (laughs) that's right (laughs) anyways thank you all for listening to this episode we will see you guys next week on analog sticks we've got a fun one queued up for you but in the meantime i hope you all have a fantastic day see you guys bye-bye